You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So a little bit of context, if you missed last week, then check out Audacious Chester Preaches on Spotify. It essentially lays the foundation for this series we're in called Hey Jude, a deep dive into Jude, talking about how the Bible and society clash, fit together or don't fit together, and what our role is and what our responsibility is as the church. So if you weren't here last week for the Stick to the Word message, then head on over to Spotify and you can check that out. Sound good? Five people think it sound good. Sound good? Great. We're going to go into the Word of God, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. There's nothing like your Word on the planet. Today, we're not hearing from the words of a person, from a preacher, although we are. We're hearing from the very Word of God, the Word that makes a difference, difference that brings transformation, change, does everything and more that we need it to do and achieve. And Lord, right now we pray for those in our church family who are too sick to be here today. We just pray you'd send your word to them and your word would be, be well in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you'd strengthen them. And today as we unpack your word in our second week of this series, that you would speak to us, you'd sharpen us, you'd challenge us, and you would transform us by your word and by your presence. And everyone with faith said, amen. Man, cool. We're in our second week of Hey Jude, and today's message is entitled, Build Yourself Up. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, Build Yourself Up. Build Yourself Up. The Bible says this in the book of Jude, and this is our key verse coming up on screen. It says in Jude 20, 21, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up, In your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, we're going to do that at the end of this message, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. The author of Jude, Jude says, build yourselves up. Think with me, backtrack a little bit to a moment in your life when you've been a little bit stuck, when you've been stuck, someone's been stuck, or perhaps something has been stuck. My little brother, he's four years younger than I. He lives with my dad. My little brother, one night, he was staying at a friend's house when he was younger. He was in his late teens. I didn't live with my dad at that time. So he doesn't have a key to get in after his sleepover at his mate's house, and dad is gone to work. So this is a bit of a nightmare for my brother. He's trying to get in. He's checking the back door. He hasn't got the key. He hasn't got access to the house. But he notices there's the living room window is slightly ajar, so he pulls it open. But it's one of those really small security windows. The more you open it, the more the back, you know, tips over to make it hard to enter the house. But my brother in his genius and his ingenuity thinks to himself, who is the smallest, skinniest friend of mine? He's bound to fit through that window. So he calls his mate Ryan. Ryan comes running round. I don't know what they were thinking, but Ryan thinks to himself, I can get through that window. No problem at all. So he stands up on the window ledge. He puts his head through 
And then he realizes there's no way he's going to get his body through. So his head is stuck in the window. Nightmare, head stuck. And he's trying to pull himself out. He starts to panic and he starts getting all hyped up and he actually passes out in the window. Do you believe it? Tyler's holding his leg saying, Ryan, are you okay? Wake up, Ryan's passed out. Comes round and he's still stuck. So my brother, what does he do next? He calls the fire brigade and he says, I need your help. My friend's head is stuck in my window. They hang up the call. They think it's a prank call. He calls them back and he says, I tried calling, but really my friend's head is stuck inside my window. So the fire brigade come along. They take the window out, rescue Ryan. Praise God. He'd still be there to this day. Put the window back on. And uh, Tyler decides he'll go hang out at Ryan's house till dad finishes work and then he'll go home. And sorry, dad, if you're listening, but my dad to this day still doesn't know that that happened. <laughs> the window doesn't quite, it's not as flush as it used to be. And my dad doesn't know why, but nobody's telling him anything. Ryan got stuck in the window. Lysandra and I on our honeymoon on Vancouver Island, we were rowing in the canoe, we were on the lake, and then a storm brews up out of nowhere. The rain's beating us down and we're trying to, you know, get some traction, trying to go somewhere. But it's like the more we paddled, we were going nowhere fast because the wind was against us. And not only were we stuck, we actually started to get blown backwards into the reeds by the side of this lake, worried for our lives. And I think all of us in life have had these times, haven't we, in moments where we're stuck or things are stuck or life just feels a little bit stuck. Now, let me tell you this. When it comes to faith, you don't just stay stuck. Jim Simbala says it like this. The founding pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church says, you either move forwards in your faith or you're moving backwards, further away from God. There is no holding Ground, Galatians 5.17, explains it like this. It says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. You've got a flesh nature and a spirit nature, so that you're not to do whatever you want. Right now inside of us, there's a conflict happening between our flesh and between our spirit. And I want to suggest that certain moments of your life, one is winning, one is taking ground, one is gaining the advantage. We've got a choice today whether we continue to move forward in our faith, growing in momentum, gaining faith muscle, hypertrophy, or we're moving further away from God in our faith. We're losing faith muscle and we're atrophying. The danger is we don't just stay stuck. We can become stagnant. This is what stagnant means in terms of the water definition. It says with no movement and aeration, Stagnant water becomes a prime breeding ground for biofilms or collection of bacteria or fungi. Left untreated, stagnant water often becomes home for dangerous diseases and pathogens. In other words, stagnation, stagnancy in our Christian walks and lives is a breeding ground for sin. And the remedy to get out of being stagnant 
is to build ourselves up. Instead of settling for stagnant, we become a river of flowing water, the Bible says in John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, Jesus speaking, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from him. Rivers of living water is the power, the presence, the anointing, the grace, the freedom, the forgiveness, the goodness of God flowing through your life. We've no chance at repelling the cultural deception that we face in society today where everybody's truth is the truth as we talked about last week. If we are moving further away in our walk with God, if we are becoming people that are stagnant, know today, Audacious Church, we have to become people, leaders in the house, leaders in society who are continually building ourselves up and growing in the things of God, refusing to stay stuck and so becoming stagnant. There's two areas that Jude writes about specifically to the church. This isn't to the world. This is really important to remember. This is to the church. Two areas that we've got to become unstuck from. Jude verse four says this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who first thing, Pervert the grace of our Lord God for a license for immorality. Ouch. And two, deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign Lord. I want to suggest two things in a moment, but I want to make a pastoral note here. This is a challenging series. Some series we do scratch the surface or a window into the church. Some are a lot deeper, a little bit of heart surgery. And let's face it, this message today is heart surgery. But I want to make this point really clear. As Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian today, there is no condemnation for you. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring condemnation to your life, but he does bring conviction. Don't allow the challenge you feel in church to be misinterpreted for condemnation. You're not condemned, the Bible says. But God absolutely will convict us unto righteousness, holiness, and the things of God. So if you feel a little bit uncomfortable today, as I definitely did prepping this message for myself, don't get the wires crossed. Don't allow the devil to speak to you and make you feel condemned, but acknowledge that God disciplines those whom he loves, the Bible says. So our challenge and our conviction today actually is God saying that he loves us and he wants us to grow. Does that sound okay? So let's not misinterpret Jude's harsh words here for condemnation. Let's take them on board as a moment to grow in the things of God. The first thing is this I want to say about building yourself up is what you feed is what will grow. What you feed is what will grow. Lysandra and I, we've got a little beautiful second child called MacGyver. He's a Scottish terrier. He's nine years old. He's a beautiful little dog. But MacGyver went on a trip with me to the vets a couple of months ago. Um, we went into the vets, um, MacGyver is weighed as per protocol, they weigh MacGyver, and then we get brought into a little side room where the vet picks him up, puts him on the table, looks at his report, looks at his weight, looks at me and says, oh, MacGyver is a little bit overweight. 
I'm like, wow, you haven't even said hello to him yet. This is rude. He's a little bit overweight. And I asked, how much overweight? And she said, well, MacGyver is 30% overweight. 30%. I'm like, wow. She says he is 12 kilograms and he should be nine. I'm like, oh my gosh, my dog has been carrying the Christmas rolls from 2019, hasn't he? He's just not in a good place. And it didn't stop there. In fact, we went on a journey of fat shaming my dog where she felt his belly and said, oh, his belly feels a little bit low. Can you imagine that going to the GP? Oh, Mr. Brown, your belly feels a little bit low. I'm like, wow, this is, gosh, per MacGyver. He heard what was happening right now. I just thought to myself, okay, we've got to cut down his diet, more walks. He's, you know, overweight. But in the last month, let me tell you, he has lost half a kilo. <laughs> Thank you very much. I take that applause. And I'm actually thinking of starting MacGyver's own Instagram page, MacGyver's Weight Loss Journey. <laughs> he could become a TikTok influencer. Before you know it, he'll be doing progress photos and selling his own courses on TikTok. <laughs> And yes, 12 kilos to nine, he's 11.5. We're working on it, aren't we? We're working on it. But what you feed is what will grow. Jude 4 says this. These people pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. What's the link? The essence of what Jude is saying here is these people within the church have began to start feeding their spiritual diet with immorality. They've stopped feeding their spiritual diet with holiness. Jude's speaking to people right now who've took on a spiritual diet of a license for immorality. Instead of focusing on, as the people of God, pursuing holiness and all that comes from that. N.T. Wright says it like this, a beautiful quote. He says, find people who today are saying that God loves everyone exactly as they are. So everyone must stay exactly as they are, doing all the things they want to do. Because God is so full of generosity that obviously he wants them to, you know, do that. Find such people and you find those whom Jude is writing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, much earlier than N.T. Wright, a famous theologian, pastor who started an incredible church, he talks about two different theologies, two different types of grace, cheap grace and costly grace that we'll talk about in a moment. But I love Bonhoeffer. He was a staunch opponent to the Nazi regime. He was outspoken. He was on radio. He was preaching the word of God. It actually didn't matter what society jumped on board with, what was popular in the narrative, what was commonplace at the time for where he lived, he trusted the word of God and so didn't forfeit who he was to come under the regime, but stood for the principles of the kingdom, which I love. As a result, in 1943 in April, he was arrested by the Gestapo and he was imprisoned at Tegel Prison for one and a half years. Not long after that, he was hanged on the 9th of April, 1945, just before, a couple of weeks, I think it was, just before the collapse of the Nazi regime. He writes a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a 1937 classic. It's an old book, but it still has so much relevance for us today in this cultural overlap for how we handle the word of God in our societal, let's call it, dilemma of which we face. He writes about these two graces, cheap grace and costly grace. Getting Bible school on you today, is that okay? Three people are ready for Bible school. Cheap grace, definition is here. 
Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Man, I don't know about you, but that challenges me to the core. Costly grace, he suggests, is what we should all live under and live by. He says, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Cheap grace is the license for immorality that Jude is talking about in verse 4. Cheap grace is watering down the substance of the gospel. Cheap grace is us taking for granted the price that Jesus paid on the cross so that instead of living in the fullness of freedom that he has, we live a foot in both worlds, a foot in the kingdom of darkness and a foot in the kingdom of life. Like, cheap grace is a placebo effect. We think that it's medicine for the soul, but in reality, it offers nothing of substance. Cheap grace removes the transformative nature of the gospel where you stay in your own old life, but my Bible says the old life is gone and the new life has come. That's cheap grace. But when we are fed on the diet of costly grace in discipleship, we realize that the grace Jesus has given us access to is a John 10, 10, life and life to the full. It puts to death the power of sin in our lives and we enter into the new life that Christ has for us. Costly grace enables us to carry the anointing, the power, the breakthrough, the healing, all of the good things were promised as Jesus speaks to the church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the grace by which we're under when we walk in true line with the costly grace that Jesus came and gave his life for. Which grace do you feed your spiritual diet? Is it cheap grace or is it costly grace? Don't know about you, but the grace that I've received cost Jesus his life. There was nothing cheap about the Son of God coming from heaven to earth. It cost God his everything. Jesus, begotten from God, sent with a mission, fully God, fully man, with a plan to rescue humanity from the sins, the hang-ups, the mess-ups that we are experiencing and living by product of a fallen nature. That is the cost of the cross. Romans says it like this. Paul writes in verse one of chapter six. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Fast forward to verse six. We know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer, church, slave to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we will also live with Him. 
Put to death sin in your life and the lie that you've been told that you can have your foot in both worlds. Jesus came, salvation is free, but discipleship, following him, will cost you your life. I don't know about you, but it's a price I'm happily willing to pay to lay my life down for a Savior who laid his life down for me. Five people are excited about a Savior that's came to give his all for us so we could give our all for him. The grace isn't to do whatever we want, but to do whatever he wants. This is our statement of faith as a church. We believe that deliverance from the devil's authority, selfish habits and oppression is provided through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We aren't perfect. This isn't about being perfect. We're just forgiven. And each one of us on a journey of unpacking the beauty of the word of God, growing in relationship with him. What nature are you feeding today? You feeding it with a diet of cheap grace? or with a diet of costly grace. What you feed is what will grow. So church, build yourself up. The second thing about building yourself up is this, is Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. Write that down. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. We good? You with me? Only five people have walked out so far. We're good. We're doing good. A joke. Jude verse four says this, the second part. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Second Peter two verse two says, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth. This is who we are, people of the way, following the way of truth. They will bring it into disrepute. Jude and two Peter are so similar there's some debate in the scholarly world as to which had access to whose source first or if there's another source by which they both drew from. They're both speaking into this cultural dilemma, the cost of discipleship that Bonhoeffer is talking about. And Hudson Taylor adds to it. He says this. He says, Christ, where we get this heading, is either Lord of all or not at all. And here in verse 4, Jude is making some clear statements in the technical use of his language, catch this. He says our only, they deny Jesus Christ our only. There's one way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate by which we access salvation. All roads don't lead up to the same God at the top of the mountain because Jesus is not on that mountain. He holds a throne and a mountain and a position by which is unmatched, unequaled, unrivaled. No one can sit alongside him. No one can contend for his position on the throne. So Jude's speaking to people here, people in the church who think it's fine. I know Jesus, but if I'm also a good person, if I do the right things and that's all nice, but the main thing is Jesus. Let me tell you, if you walk in relationship with Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, that is the one and only way to the Father. Good news, you walk in relationship with God. And the second piece of the technical use of language is sovereign and Lord. These are titles denoting his authority and his possessing of power. We spoke about the lion of the tribe of Judah symbolizing Jesus' strength. He possesses all authority, every kingdom, principality, king and ruler, empire that's been from the Romans all the way to today sits under the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
So it doesn't matter who's speaking over your life, trying to become that Lord. Jesus sits above the authorities of our world. Jude's making these points on the lordship and the authority of Jesus. I love this use of the word Lord. It occurs 700 times across the New Testament, specifically referring to Jesus. It's a Greek word called kyrios, talking about how Jesus is Lord. We've done this in our discipleship journey a couple of months ago. Jesus has to be the Lord of your life. He can be Savior, which he is for all of us, but we've got to make a choice if he's Lord. Do we come under his kingship, his rule, his edicts, his principalities? I want to suggest the best thing you can do is to come under the Lordship of Jesus. Matthew 7, Jesus speaking from verse 24. says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. Is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Today, church, are you building your life on the foundations of the rock, the person, the word of God, or are you building your life on the sinking sand of societal norms? Are you submitting your life to the words from the Lord or the words from the new cycle? Are you shaping your life around kingdom principles or around new age thought? Are you the master of your own destiny or are you a servant of the Lord? Christ is Lord of all or not at all. What does that look like in your heart? Is Christ Lord of all or not at all? I'm gonna suggest today, build yourself up on the rock of his word. Build yourself up on the rock of the prayer life that you have with God. Build yourself up on speaking in tongues. Build yourself up on his calling. Build yourself up on his power and his presence. Build yourself up on his love, his forgiveness, his compassion, and his grace. There are those today in society, it's not changed, that try to remove the lordship of Jesus from every sector, every place. It happened in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day in Daniel 3. At this moment in the story, we pick up three incredible leaders who are suddenly under a king who imposes a new law. It's a law. It's not just a nice idea. It's a law of the day, saying that if they don't bow down to the idol made of gold, they'll be put to death. Now listen, they've got a dilemma that they face. The king Nebuchadnezzar at the time is trying to remove the lordship of Jesus, of God from the time, from their life, removing the lordship. And in this moment, they have a decision to make. And we pick up the story in Daniel 3, verse 16. These three guys replied to the king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Love this, but even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, it's very polite, isn't it? Your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. And they were placed into the fire, it was heated up seven times hotter than it was, thrown into the furnace to die. And this report comes through in verse 25. This is the king speaking. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. 
as they stood confident in the Lordship of God, in the middle of the fires of the new anti-God laws of their culture, the Lord comes, the Lord of their lives, the Lord of their hearts comes and stands with them in the fire. If you make Jesus the Lord of your life, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through in sickness and in health, He will come and stand with you in the fires of life. Whatever laws are passed, whatever society says, whoever is manufactured and formed against you to try and tear down the power of the local church, the Lord Himself will stand amongst you. But only if He's the Lord of all, because He's the Lord of all, or He's not at all. Jesus is with you today. And if you make Him the Lord of your life, He will guide you, protect you, be your shield, your sword, your healer, your peace, your comforter. Everything that you're looking for in life, all that you need can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. But only if you crown Him Lord and Lord of all. Crown Him Lord and build yourselves up on the Lordship of Jesus. Verse 20 of Jude says this, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you really quick as we come into land. There's four different ways I wanna suggest of speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying the Bible, following the Spirit for direction, and praying in the spiritual gift of tongues. There's four types. There's the gift of tongues as a physical, foreign, actual language. We observe that in Pentecost, where they were speaking other tongues, and those around them could hear that in their own language. There's a second type. There's tongues as a prayer language. Romans 8, 26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So that's praying in tongues as a prayer language. The third is tongues as a form of praise. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15 says this, says, so shall, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing in my spirit, but I also sing in my understanding. The last one is tongues is a public message for the church and it comes with interpretation. So you've got to feed your spirit by building yourselves up. And what we want to do just now is we want to pray in the spirit. We want collectively as a church to build ourselves up. Maybe you don't sing in, sing in tongues, speak in tongues, sing in the Spirit. Sing the words of God, declare the Bible, intercede for those in our family that are sick and are unwell. Because when you connect with your spirit nature, it puts to death the flesh nature in our hearts and in our lives. You've gotta let your convictions override your emotions. God created emotions, hear me out, they're not rivals convictions, emotions, they're not. God created us as emotional beings. That's why musically earlier, us receiving from the Lord was so powerful because we're emotional people. We connect with God on that level. But also what I love is when Saul was sick with a demon, David came and played the harp for Saul. And because he played worship music, the evil spirit that was on Saul in the Bible went, couldn't stand in the presence of God. So for us, we've got to move past our emotions at this point because our emotions tell us, oh, it's 
running a bit over service. It's almost lunchtime, man. I'm a bit tired, haven't had a good week. We've had a terrible week this week, but I find myself prepping this message, building myself up, speaking in tongues, singing the Word of God, praying for the church. And so this morning, my situation hasn't changed much, but I feel like a new man because I'm not tapping into the flesh. What is easy, what is comfortable, I'm tapping into the Spirit. So today, each one of us, we've got to tap into the Spirit by building ourselves up, praying, singing, speaking in tongues, and believing that if you don't yet speak in tongues, as we collectively as a church sing, as we declare, as we worship, God's gonna drop a gift on your life, a spiritual impartation and anointing. Because this isn't just like the concerts of the One Direction days. This is the people of God gathered around the Word of God, in the presence of God, transformed by the Lord, encountering the Holy Spirit, so that we can be transformed by His image and made into His likeness. How can we fight the cultural dilemma the opposition against the church? How can we stand on the things we believe in if we don't build ourselves up? This place is easy. You're in the family of God, with the people of God, in the presence of God. Out there it's hard. So I want you to do some business just now to build yourself up so that when Monday morning comes, you'll step into work and you'll be less anxious than you were last week. You'll step into work a bit more confident in what you believe because you're carrying the Spirit of God. You'll go into that situation with your family where they need healing. No longer will you think it might happen. By faith, you're declaring it will happen in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.